Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and I am joined by Mr. Mark LaRocco. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. I am so excited for summer. Yeah? Uh, yeah? Yeah. I think you were mentioning before, you got you got some out-of-town plans? Yeah, we got some out-of-town plans. Kids are out of school in about a week and a half. Uh, we're we're going to go to Bear Lake this weekend um nice just we just finished our deck we got a deck built in the backyard with stairs which is a big deal for us because we have been wanting to do this for five years so yeah it's going great well congratulations nice home improvements always fun Mm -hmm. and always fun to have done yeah i would say Uh (laughs) (laughs) very nice very nice so we've got some good stuff to cover um we've got some stuff to kind of catch up on if you've been uh, watching previous episodes, and thank you if you have, uh, I we mentioned that we were going to uh, get into a little bit more depth on the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. We also are going to talk about the seemingly endless Fast and Furious franchise, because uh, there's a new one of those out again. And first, I think we're going to talk about a little movie that is going to be coming out on June 2nd. So depending on when you're listening to this, it might still yet be to come or might have just come out. Uh, it's a little Stephen King adaptation called The Boogeyman. Mark, how do you how do you feel about Stephen King movies? I know that's kind of a broad thing to say because there's like 70 of them. Yeah. But I, so give, or, give or take 20. There's a lot and I, there's plenty I haven't seen, but I can tell you my opinion on them. I've learned that all of the Stephen King movies that I consider to, to not be horror movies, and I know he's you know he's the horror master, and that's how he uh-huh. made his bones. But he, the movies that are not horror, are the ones I like the best, like yeah. the Shawshank Redemption, the Green Mile, mm-hmm. those kind. The horror ones, there's some good ones in there, but they're always on sort of a lower tier for me, which makes me think I'm just not a Stephen King fan, since that's what that's what he's known for is 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 horror you know and yeah and i've read plenty of books of his that i liked you know like it um and uh skeleton crew a bunch of short stories he's got lots of really good writing um but, well that's yeah. that's where you're ahead of me because the only book of his that i have read is his non-fiction memoir uh, it's called on writing and i actually reference it in my mm-hmm. english composition classes mm-hmm. um really really good book even if you're not interested in writing it's it's kind of a kind of cool to hear his story he has a great nonfiction voice um but i think maybe you could speak to one of the questions i have which seems which is that it seems to me and my, my question is i guess whether you agree or not it seems to me that especially with his horror movies he doesn't even seem to really like a lot of the interpretations of his own stuff because it's mm-hmm. not, it's not that he's, he's not directing his own movies for the most, I think he might've one or t- once or twice, but most of the time it's some interpretation of his book by somebody else. And it seems to me like as often as not, he doesn't really like it either. So yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say, is this just a question of Stephen King is not my style? Because I can say that some of the stuff that, that he's done, I don't really find scary, but I also don't know if, well, maybe it's just because somebody hasn't really captured the spirit of his horror or his, his content. Yeah, you know what I mean, I know. And I, so he, yeah, he doesn't like a lot of his, I mean, famously the shining, which is probably yeah. considered the best movie adaptation or at least movie somewhat based on an adaptation by Stephen King. Probably, probably the best um, movie better than the best adaptation. Yeah. Right? Probably the best movie. Um, period that has to do with Stephen King and and that was by Stanley Kubrick. Um, he did direct Maximum Overdrive and right. maybe one or two others, but that's one that for sure he did. And then, but yeah, I used to always joke even when I was younger and I was just kind of getting into Stephen King. It always seemed like there was just a killer blank. Like his movies were about oh a killer <laughs> car, right. a killer dog, a killer clown a killer you know whatever and yeah it yeah. seemed to be um a little bit of a rehash even though they're all they're they're quite different you know and how they get uh-huh. there but yeah he he doesn't uh i guess he's not a fan of a bunch of his i had read one time that he 
one of his, I don't know if you want to call it motivation for him to finish books or to write is he has a recurring nightmare that there's a mad woman with an ax in his closet. And I was oh. thinking about misery and how right. that almost is like his nightmare come to, you know, put on page and then put on the right. screen. Um, I wonder if that no, was... No, that's, and that's, that's absolutely how I've interpreted that, yeah. that story. Yeah, right. I, mean, I, I think it's pretty, I think he's been pretty explicit about it, that that's, mm -hmm. that's what that story is. Um, but that's, that actually kind of ties into this new one, um, which is not about a woman in the closet with an ax. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be spoiler considerate okay. as I describe this. Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I think the boogeyman is not going to go down as one of the great Stephen King movies. Um, unfortunately, my guess is that this one will be quickly forgotten and uh, will just kind of be another entry on the long list of adaptations um, that people go, oh yeah, there is that one too. Um, it's really pretty simple, pretty straightforward, not a whole lot of new ideas here. It's really just kind of like you would expect from that title. It's about... Uh, kids being haunted, being terrorized by a quote-unquote boogeyman. And uh, it's an adaptation of one of his short stories. Um, I don't know if there's any significance to that as opposed to one of his longer novels. Um, you know, so it's only about an hour and a half long. Uh, but the story centers on this family that has undergone, uh, is, is recovering from some trauma. The, the mother in the family uh, recently died in an accident. And the, there's a teenage daughter who's in high school, and then there's a younger daughter who is the same actress who played the young Leia in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, if that helps. Mm. Um, the dad is a therapist who is played by, is it Chris Messina was the guy in Air who played the agent, who played yeah. David Falk? Because mm -hmm. that's him. Yeah, so, so he's in this. And yeah, and the kids are just kind of being tormented by this, you know shadowy figure that comes out of the closet and is really scary and spooky. And, uh, I, I think it's, it's kind of, I think the catalyst for the story is that, uh, the dad takes a patient who, who his family has been tormented by this boogeyman to the point where all of his children are dead. And then, by connecting with this patient that connects the boogeyman to the therapist's family. So it's kind of transferred from family to family based on their, their fragility and their, their susceptible, you know, their, their weakness because of trauma, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I'm, I mean, there's not a whole lot to describe here. It's really pretty basic and it's, it's just kind of a, bump in the night, you know, is there a monster under my bed? Is there a monster under my, in my closet type of, type of thing? And, you know, it plays around with some of these bigger, bigger ideas about, you know, shared trauma and, and, and things like that. Uh, but overall, I would say that it, it follows a, a kind of a routine path of a, what I've noticed in a lot of horror movies where, they do a really good job of establishing some atmosphere and some dread in the beginning when you don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But the more you find out, the less scary the movie becomes to the point when the third act, and like I said, I mean, I'm not going to talk, talk about what happens in the third act just in case anybody does want to see it. Um, but the more you find out, the more the curtain comes down and we'll just say that, uh, you know, the, the cinematic equivalent of, of, uh, the wizard of Oz is equally underwhelming. Mm. And so, <laughs> yeah, which is, which is not to say that there is, you know, you're not, you're not the saying the, the movie, the wizard of Oz, you're saying the actual wizard of Oz, right? Yeah. Being underwhelming. Yeah, well, just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just the idea that, you know, when you find out what's going on, it's kind of, oh, okay, well, I've, kind of seen this before and really this is what we're going to do hmm. you know and so so it's too, and it's too bad because genuinely i i really did feel some some real suspense and some tension and you know and they they don't re overly rely on jump scares and that kind of thing but it's it, there's definitely that kind of thing and and i don't know it 
like I say, just as you're as it goes along with each step in the story and each kind of mark of progress, it kind of undermines its own terror. Mm-hmm. And so starts pretty good, but then limps to the finish, unfortunately. So yeah. Boogeyman, I mean, I, I, I want to give it, I want to be kind and say like two and a half stars out of four because it does, you know, it does deliver some, some of that suspense and some of that fright. But I don't know if a movie doesn't end well, that really kind of guts it. Well, so or yeah, okay. I think I know what, what you mean there. Uh, you know this this director. There's a what I've heard is a pretty well regarded horror movie called Host that he made during the mm. pandemic. Rob Savage, the same one who did okay. Boogeyman. I was curious about it because it's one of these sort of self contained. Everything takes place on a Zoom call, like on a screen. Oh, type okay. of movies, kind of like Missing, or uh-huh. I think Searching, maybe was that kind of movie. So they they really just that's the whole conceit. It's like you're just looking at a screen the whole time of a group of friends dealing with, yeah, uh, something that happens during a séance or something like that. But this sounds more of like a traditional horror film. Yeah, like no, it's it's yeah. it's definitely more conventional. Yeah, and and like I say, I think one of the things that disappointed me was that it it kind of nods at some bigger meanings and some bigger ideas. Um, one of the things that uh, did seem to be kind of distinctive, but they didn't really do a whole lot with was the idea that, that the boogeyman can imitate voices. And so sometimes the girls think that they're hearing another character, mm-hmm. but it's really the boogeyman kind of, you know, and which is cool. And they do kind of play around with a little bit, but not the way that you really think that they could have. Mm. And and it really kind of defaults to something a little bit more conventional. Yeah. Um, but I can't I can't elaborate much more without, without giving it away okay. to whoever might want to check out Boogeyman. It's PG thirteen. Um, it's it's really, I would say it's a pretty pretty bloodless PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there is a little bit of profanity, like the one obligatory use of the F word, which comes at a time that really just makes you roll your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so it's, it's pretty tame as far as content. And that's, like I said, I think that's one of the things I liked was that they were able to kind of create the sense of fear and dread and all that without having to be, you know, really gross or violent or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just the lesson is that you can start strong, but you, if you don't finish strong, too bad. Mm. So, Boogeyman, okay. June 2nd. Check it out if you want to, but I think there are better <laughs> options. Right. Such as... <laughs> uh, okay, so... Um, we have both now seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yes. Volume 3, right? Because right. we're sticking with kind of the, the music mm-hmm. theme. Right. Um, although I would say the music takes a turn or two in this one. Um, now, I've already published my... A written review. Mm-hmm. I talked about it briefly in a previous episode, one or two back. Uh, so let's let's jump in, Mark, with you. Why don't okay. You want to want to kick this one off? Yeah. So I read. I I took the liberty of reading your written review, and I oh. um, d- I, I it seems like you probably liked it more than I did. Just to kind of mm-hmm. cut to the end, like I I I I liked it fine. I thought it had some good points to it. Um, I do have some. Uh, I don't know if I should start negative or start positive. Um, I'll, go, I'll start negative. Follow your heart, my friend. <laughs> Follow my heart. Okay, I'll start negative. So, I thought it was too violent. Um, it was probably the most violent Marvel movie I've seen. Now, as far mm. as maybe horror violence, I would give that to Doctor Strange 2. But uh-huh. in, in just, you know, and I've noticed this kind of trend where if you're killing sort of non-human characters, such as a bunch of aliens or human-like creatures, maybe, humanoid creatures, you can be pretty bloody and pretty gross, and it doesn't get an R rating. And you right. can do it with lots of them. I mean, you think of, like, all the orcs that are killed in Lord of the Rings, you know. Like, That's what I was thinking movies, of. And they're all people. Because I know that, zombies. like, a human beheading is an R-rated. Yeah, it normally well, is. You know, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I'm thinking of, like, human beheadings in movies that are, of course, it depends on how they show it, but, you know, there's, I believe there's yeah. one gladiator there's one there but but there's all kinds of 
like orc beheadings. Yeah, like that's that's what I mean. Oh, you're right. In Lord of the Rings, that's throughout Lord of the Rings, but because they're orcs, yeah. it's okay. Oh, they're not human. Yeah, aliens, zombies, orcs, anything not human, you can just get away with a lot more than you can with humans. I, I think, and I don't know if that's true. I don't know what the MPA policy on that, but it seems to be the case when you look at the ratings. Mm-hmm. And and also, and that's kind of always been my complaint in general about and the MCU and superhero movies is they really kind of be should be for kids. And I was talking with my wife the other day and she's like, well, they're not, they're, they're, they're not, they're PG 13. And my point is you could probably make them PG and Mm -hmm. they're not, maybe not going to make as much money and you got to tone down some of the violence, but then a lot more kids can go see Spider-Man like little kids, you know, and Thor and all these other characters. So that's one complaint I had is it was just, it was too much. And speaking of too much, I thought it was too long. Um, yes. <laughs> I liked the back. I, I liked how they got into a sort of this personalized origin story of Rocket Raccoon. Um, maybe it was a little bit uh, manipulative emotionally in some ways. And, you know, like the big eyes and the cl- constant close-ups of this friendly little raccoon that you know has just, when you look at his, his personality now, some he went through yeah. some stuff, right? Um, right. And, but they they just keep going to those flashbacks every 15 or 20 minutes. And I think they probably had too, too many for, for my taste. Cause I got the point and you knew it was going to happen. Sure. Too. So, yeah. um, I think it's a two and a half hour movie that could have easily been two hours and been just as good probably. Um, yeah, I agree entirely. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a few complaints that I had. Um, let me just look at my notes. Oh, and, um, I, yeah, I, the high evolutionary was fine. You know, that's a kind of an interesting villain. Um, obviously he's, I think one of the main char- the characters in the movie said what he was really about, even though he, he, a lot of these villain characters in Marvel movies, they want perfection or they want total control and to make everybody do mm-hmm. what, what they think is best. And he was, you know, obviously he had some motives that are revealed a little bit later in the movie. Um, but it was, it, you know, it wasn't one of, one of my favorite, like, MCU villains. Um, I thought there was a strong undercurrent or theme of animal rights. Uh, and I kind of yeah. got that through both the Rocket Raccoon thing where, you know, animals are being tortured and dismembered and, and hype, you know, modified genetically and, I guess, cyber genetically or whatever in ways that are kind of evil and unethical but then also you have counter earth um where you you have all those animal and then you have sort of a and i I guess i don't want to spoil too much but there's there's other scenes that remind me almost of like a noah's ark um Mm. archetype i guess you could say um where where there's a lot of animals and and so i kind of i wondered if that's one of maybe james gunn's pet projects no pun intended or or you know <laughs> like that's something that's important to him um but you know it's interesting because this the high evolutionary is essentially like it's both dehumanizing to do what he's doing to to animals and, and humans mm-hmm. but also we've seen rocket raccoon humanized to almost the nth degree and to, to, ver- to great comic effect too throughout this whole series. I mean, he's basically a little human-like raccoon and he actually is one of the great characters, I think, in Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, he probably made me laugh more than any other character in the first movie in Volume 1 really? with a lot of his lines and, and how he's kind of mean and a little smarter than everybody else and um, but it's so little, like you just, how can this guy be the leader or how can he be a leader? I mean, he's not really with, you know, with star Lord, but, um, he's got leadership capabilities. We'll say, um, <laughs> yes, he does. so yeah, I, I think it was, yeah, for me, it's like a, maybe a two out of four. I, well, I, I like to do five. So I would say two and a half out of five star type yeah. movie. Um, I definitely like the first one a lot more, just a more, a lot closer to a perfect, sort of funny action-packed superhero sure. movie. Um, I'm not sure with the second one, because you did make a good point in your review about how the second one has more, it was a lot more sexually uh, explicit, at least in terms of their, their discussions than 
it was more crude. It was more crude than it needed to be. Um, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, did you have any other thoughts? I know it's been a few weeks now. I mean, has your has your yeah. position sort yeah. of changed, or is it sort of the um, same? I mean, I wouldn't say that my position has changed. Maybe just it's become a little bit more refined as I've had more time to think yeah. about it. It. Um, I I think that my my main takeaway is probably the same as my initial, you know, reaction, which is that I was relieved that it was not a lot worse just because the track record for Marvel yeah. has been so poor lately. And, and that alone left me feeling, you know, somewhat positive. Um, I did feel, you know, towards the end, like it, it reminded me more of the pre Endgame movies mm -hmm. and, and kind of the, you know, it does kind of have some of the, the guardians of the galaxy spirit, which is really one of my favorite, you know, sub stories or, mm -hmm. you know, this, this particular branch of the MCU is one of my, has been one of my favorites for, for objective and for personal reasons. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely feel that way while being completely uh, uh, wide-eyed and, and seeing clearly the many flaws, you know, mm. um, like you said, it's, it's way too long. Uh, it's, it's really moody and dark. Yeah. Um, which on its own isn't such a big deal, but as a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, you know, you kind of this is the series that you want to go to to have fun and maybe maybe kind of see a different take on the whole superhero thing and you know when he starts off at the beginning creep. of the movie and rockets moping around mm -hmm. to the acoustic version of creep by Radiohead you know this this as opposed to Mr. Blue Sky yeah. in the second one and Come Get Your Love in the first one that kind of says it all right there, right? This is yeah. going to be much more heavy, much more moody. And, you know, I think given, given what the characters have been through over all these movies, you know, including infinity war and Endgame, it makes sense that they've, you know, I mean, the best way I could say, you know, maybe the most positive way to interpret it would be is that they've matured, mm -hmm. you know, they've, they've, they've been through a lot. They've grown and they've, you know, they've had to, uh, been through some trauma um, but you know, and it was also kind of messy. I remember, I, I want to say from about halfway through to, you know, getting close to the end, it was just kind of all over the place and yeah, way too much, way, way too much going on and not, not really essential stuff going on. Like you said, I think, I think if they chopped a half hour that out of that movie, it would have been perfectly fine. It's really, I mean, the point of the plot is, you know, save rocket. rocket yeah. yeah, right. Right, he gets he gets injured in an attack at the beginning of the movie, and in order to save him, they have to kind of go find this this villain who is responsible for making him what he is, and that's interspersed with flashbacks that show us how Rocket became Rocket. Mm -hmm. You know, it's yeah, not, not really that. It wasn't complicated. a complicated plot. It just felt like mm -hmm. why did they have to make it so long for this simple of a plot? Now it does change once they get what they need to. It, it kind of evolves into the. I don't yeah. know, you could almost say act two, even though movies normally have three acts. But like, yeah, I I kind of I felt that way too. And I also um, I like the song "Creep." I love Radiohead, but it's weird. Oh, yeah, it didn't it's a great quite song. Fit with, I guess it did fit with what he wanted to say about sure. this, you know. And and also like, yeah, Rocket Raccoon. I mean, part of why he's so angry is he's so broken inside. Like part of the mm -hmm. why, reason why he treats people the way he does, and this is even in the very first movie, is because he kind of knows he's a he's a freak or a mutant, right? And mm -hmm. he's a creep, you know. And he he like, wonders what he's doing here, and he doesn't belong here. And so it's actually a kind of a perfect song. But yeah, it definitely starts it on a more somber tone mm -hmm. than the other movies. Well, it's just it's just um, a drag, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's appropriate and it works, but yeah. it's also just not very fun. And so so this movie is much more melancholy, much more heavy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the tone at the end of the second movie between Star-Lord finding out that his father is like this mm -hmm. megalomaniacal, you know, demigod character, plus 
the whole Yondu thing, which I think is really one of the highlights of the series, yeah. you know, with his sacrifice at the end, you know, that tone really kind of carries popular. over into this third movie. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> no. And that's, I mean, yeah. I think that's it is that, you know, the, the, the song, at least in that case was perfect, but perfect to do something that was just kind of yeah. a drag. So I, the other thing I thought was so funny about it is, and it, and I had to go back and forth on my thinking on this because you know, Marvel Marvel movies have all the money in the world. They can do the best CG of any movie out there. But I, director James Gunn intentionally chose this campy 70s sci-fi look for some of these mm. people in the movie. Like Nathan Fillion is sort of just wearing like oh, a, right. a Michelin man looking fat suit. Like all these guards at one of the places they go to. And, and then, you know, Elizabeth Debicki has gold paint that you can literally see how that they painted it onto her face and onto the yeah. um what's his name adam adam warlock adam warlock, adam warlock. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and it's like i mean you look at nebula and it's like okay yeah it looks like she's got blue skin kind of like i mean the, the mm -hmm. way that they've done it and they've they've shaved her head and um she's got the black eyes and it looks pretty legit but then you look at these other two the two gold people we'll call them and it looks so fake and so phony that it's almost uh -huh. just meant that part that alone is meant to be funny. Like that's meant to elicit laughter. And um, yet some of, some of it was just, yeah, it was almost like a throwback to like maybe a, an older 40 year old sci-fi movie that didn't have like the best budget out there. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of funny, but yeah, kind of felt almost like something that like Taika Waititi would do. Um, but at least that part of it, but yeah. They're they're definitely kindred spirits, right? I would I would say um, no. The other, I mean, I think I would probably put this at the same level or below the second Guardians movie, mm -hmm. and both of those are well below the first one. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it, it it almost it almost gets a pass based on the weakness of its current peers mm -hmm. you know so that's that's kind of the way i i felt about it um one of the things i think that was a shortcoming that is going to tie into our our next discussion uh is that and i think this is probably responsible for a lot of the messiness of the movie was just they've got this overly bloated cast yeah that see it just seems to be i don't know it almost this is almost starting to feel like the signature issue or at least a signature issue of the 2020s mm -hmm. is movies and franchises that have overly huge casts and and you know guardians is definitely definitely one of them because you kind of had the core group but then you're spinning off to uh i forgot the character's name but like sean gunn oh yeah uh, i don't know i his think name. And, and i actually liked his little his little story mm -hmm. about you know trying to kind of follow in the footsteps of yondu but you've got that you've got that dog thing that he's talking to you've got you know like you said you talked about uh, the elizabeth debicki character and adam warlock and you've got all these peripheral things and right and you just lose interest. wow you're like oh i gotta <laughs> yeah. keep track of these people now like what are they doing here and and it's weird too because in in another way even though that it's, it's it's got a bloated cast, it's kind of a self-contained movie. Like you didn't get the feeling like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't get a huge feeling like that they were required to move the in the the overall Marvel storyline along in major ways that yeah. interrupted with the plot of this movie. And also, you know how we're dealing with multiverses now in every movie. They really didn't do that in this one either, which was good. Other than yeah. I guess G Gamora. She's an alternate version of Gamora. But other than that, it wasn't like, you know, because, you know, when you when we get to have the multiverse now, it feels like the stakes are lower in, in a right. weird way rather than right. higher. Rather than you get one shot to get this thing done or to do what's right. Mm -hmm. um, and so and maybe that's sort of a low bar backhanded compliment of the movie. I don't know. But. Yeah. No, I that's one of the things I counted in its credit was that it wasn't messing around with multiverse stuff. Yeah. As I as I have said many times before, I am not interested in the multiverse. Yeah, and you know it's weird like the the new Spider-Man animated movies coming out mm -hmm. and for as right. much as I loved Into the Spider-Verse, I'm not 
I mean, I'm still going to see it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but it's not like my most anticipated movie, you know, to see. Um, right. Because I'm a little worried that it's, you know, they're just going to make it really complicated and it's just going to be full of multiverse stuff. And what is it? Is it Across the Spider-Verse? I'm thinking Across the Beatles. Yeah. It sounds like the Beatles song. But yeah, it's, um, <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. Like, because that's just, it's the new thing now. So. Right, right. Yeah. So, I don't know. So it sounds like it sounds I mean, like I liked it more than you. You probably but liked not... it more, and I, I still had fun. Same with like Love uh-huh. and Thunder. Even though I didn't think either one of them were great movies, there were plenty of reasons to laugh, and yeah, there was a fight. I mean, sequence. I definitely like this better than Love and Thunder. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a fight sequence near the end of this that was in slow motion where all the guardians are fighting, and it was pretty cool. I mean, it was it was. You know, um, but like not just not like uh, it, it didn't make the whole movie for me, but it was definitely a really yeah. cool scene. Well, so here, maybe maybe this should be our exit question, because as a Guardians movie, it's all about the soundtrack. Right. And and we have already talked about the Radiohead song. How did you feel about the rest of the music? I couldn't even, uh, I guess it wasn't as memorable to me as the first two, because I, I can't even think of, if you start naming them, I might remember, but I definitely remember there yeah. were some needle drops where it's like, all right, here's a, uh-huh. here's a scene where the, you know, they're going to insert a song really loud and, and start an action scene or whatever, and then they'll quiet down the song. They almost, and you know how they do the, like, the, the, the power, the slow motion walk that's becoming yeah. sort of a trope? They kind of make fun of that in this movie. A little bit with how Gamora reacts to everybody doing it, and so that oh. I mean, it's definitely a self-aware movie. Like, it's not dumb yeah. in, in that way, right? Yeah. But I, I, what are some of the songs that you? Uh, well, you remember. I think one of the things that I remember in general is that because I guess Star Lord now has the Zune, oh. that we're no, we are no longer limited to music that came out before. He was abducted. Oh, that's right. Before like and so, 1984 or whatever. Right. Was. Yeah. Right. And so that's so that's why we have the Radiohead song. That's why we have there's there's a song and I had to look this up because I didn't know it off the top of my head. But it's a by a band named uh, Space Hog, I think, and it's called In the Meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'd recognize it's it was one of the more prominent songs. Okay. Um, one that I did already know uh, was by uh, oh. It's a Do You Realize by Flaming Lips. Oh, yeah. I like that that one. one. Yeah. Um, And so I definitely still liked the soundtrack. Um, I I have gone over to iTunes in search of the songs that I didn't already have. Um, It doesn't rank with the first two, Mm -hmm. but but it was pretty good. It was so. Yeah, I remember hearing Do You Realize, and I was being so I was so happy to hear that because I think that's from their best album, that Yoshimi Bells, the Pink Robots. Yes. album by the flaming lips and you don't yep. you just don't hear those a lot right now it's sort of sort of like they're not in but it's like every song is great um and yeah that and it it almost has sort of an ethereal like a space feel to it like that song right. does right um, no it 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 did fit it, yeah. it worked it's just like i say i think it's kind of a step down because you know one of the real signature moves of the guardians movies is that you're kind of matching these just under the radar pop tunes from the 70s mm-hmm. with this kind of this zany you know funny outer space avengers right. thing and and so i guess that when you think about it though when you make a movie like guardians is a good example right because it, it was so fresh and so funny yeah. well if they do more of the same then we'll, we'll complain because we'll be like well where's the originality but then if they right. up the ante and they make it even longer and even more violent or whatever, we'll complain. You know, like it's hard mm-hmm. to, maybe we're hard to please, you know, with these MCU movies. Because I'm sure that there are things about Guardians that we go back and look at now and we're like, oh, that kind of feels like Volume 2 or Volume 3 kind of a lot. Yeah. But we got to see it first in this movie where it was more groundbreaking to use a soundtrack in that way in a, in a space movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I don't know. It's, well, maybe yeah. maybe the lesson, Mark, is that rather than worry about give us endless franchises, they should just make one good movie to stand on its own, 
and not have to worry about being corrupted or distorted or anything like yeah. that, which is a good a segue as any into our next subject, mm-hmm. which is the now infamous Fast and Furious franchise, which uh, now, now you have not seen the newest movie, the 10th movie, um, Fast 10, even though it's spelled Fast X. I think we've been instructed to refer to it as Fast 10. Okay. Uh, but but you have watched one of the seek so well and we'll get we'll get more into this in a second because i'm going to talk about the new one but uh if if i remember you correctly you had seen the very first movie Mm -hmm. but then in preparation for our discussion you sought out one of the later sequels so you could have kind of an idea of what has happened to this franchise and so you watched the the fifth well and that's the funny thing is i so i've literally seen two of the ten Fast, uh-huh. Fast and Furious movies. So I, I don't even know why I'm talking about them, but I'll try. I've, I've. No, uh, I think, I think that your perspective will be valuable <laughs> for that reason. Um. So, so I don't know. Let's let's go ahead and talk about the new movie first. Okay. Um. I did I did post a review, a written review of this one mm-hmm. on Utah.film as well. Uh, feel free to go check it out. Um. I had the hardest time writing that review. Because these movies feel like regular film criticism stuff is completely beside the point. Mm-hmm. Like the way that I would normally evaluate a movie, it almost seems like these movies are deliberately designed to just kind of thumb their nose at what their critic we group. would. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and and not in the worst way. I mean. The Transformers movies were kind of the same way. I mean, they, they wouldn't even have us screen those. When yeah. when the Michael Bay, like they did with the Bumblebee, um, and, we, and we're going to see this new one, the Rise of the Rise of the Beasts, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Michael Bay ones, they never screened for us because they pretty much knew that critics were going to hate these and just crap all over them. And so uh, they were they were critic-proof in a different way because they still made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Um Although it was, it was, you know, diminishing returns after a while. But, um, so I've, I've, for better or worse, I've always kind of paired the Transformers movies and the Fast and Furious movies in, in, as a kind of strange two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. in that they are both ridiculous, over the top, overblown fan service type of just strip it down to well people yeah. like explosions right. and cool cars and good looking women like, and yeah. crazy music and fart jokes mm. and so we're going to just like have all kinds of stuff like that and that but where the transformers movies seem like a real cynical interpretation of that where it's just kind of thrown out in sequence because you know the filmmakers feel like ah oh, well People just want this stuff. So we're, we're not even going to bother with continuity or logic or mm-hmm. coherence. The Fast and Furious movies feel like the audience is in on the joke and that we're all kind of having fun with it together. And so I've always given them a pass in the way, and I've enjoyed them in a way that I've never enjoyed those those core Michael Bay Transformers movies. Um that being said, my goodwill is increasingly being strained with the new installments because basically after the seventh Fast and Furious movie where one of the main characters passed away and well, the, you know, so Paul Walker, who the actor who played one of the main characters, played, played Brian in the series, uh, Walker passed away in real life. Mm-hmm. And so he exited the, the series at that point. Uh, episode eight, episode nine, and now ten have been increasingly ridiculous. In a, it's 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 starting to feel like there's a lot of fanfare and less and less soul. Hmm. If that's if that's a way to put it, because the kind of the bromance buddy kind of heart of the movies were always this 
you know, Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto and Paul Walker's Brian. And that was kind of the thing that held all the craziness together. Mm -hmm. And with that gone, now it's just kind of this weird over the top international super spy soap opera stuff that, you know, every other character, you know, it is talking, speaking of cast bloat, if you look at the promo posters for fast 10, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like a dozen and a half people there <laughs> and, and they're all somewhat substantial roles because everyone other than Paul Walker's character who has passed away in a past movie is brought back, right? Nobody ever really dies. They all come back at some point and there's some weird retroactive story and, yeah. oh, well, he didn't really die in that fiery crash because this guy came along and pulled him out at the last second and you just didn't see it in that movie three, you know, three movies yeah. ago. Um, which is basically what happened to the Han character. Uh, so... Yeah, so Fast 10 is... Can you, like, de- describe the plot in, like, 30 seconds? Um, or is there even, is it even seconds, worth yeah, it? Yeah, so, so my, my description of the plot... Uh, so, the fifth movie that you saw... I don't think this is going to be 30 seconds, but this is going to make sense. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the bad guy in the fifth movie... Turns out he has a son, and it's played by Jason Momoa. And because the bad guy got killed at the end of the fifth movie, his son has now come back ten years later and wants vengeance. And in order to do that, he is setting up uh, Dominic Toretto and his vast network of family and friends for a miserable, terrible fall. Mm-hmm. That's that's really what it is, okay. and and honestly, Jason Momoa is by far the best part of the movie. Yeah, he looks his, like he's just having so much fun in the previews. He is. He is. His wardrobe deserves an award. Uh-huh. It is so funny and crazy <laughs> and flamboyant and over the top. Like he's got like these crazy. They're almost like hammer pants that uh-huh. he's always wearing, <laughs> and and of course his hair is just on full display, just kind of crazy, and and he's he's having a great time. Like that's. That's one of the things that there's really the saving grace of these movies is that for the most part, they're having fun. And, mm-hmm. and when they're not having fun, that's when they start, they start to slip. Um, so, so, you know, I, and I, I go into more detail in the written review, but just for the sake of just kind of, you know, summing it up here, if the, these movies are still worth watching for kind of the dumb escapist fun of it, and I still enjoy them in a way that I never enjoyed those Michael Bay Transformers movies. But it's getting a little harder to embrace the chaos in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't know. They, this, this one apparently is the first of a concluding trilogy that is going to wrap the entire series. And even that is feeling kind of exhausting. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. I would. I would not. I would. I. There were things I liked about this one better than nine because nine is kind of seen as one of the weaker entries. Mm-hmm. But overall, the best. The best ones are still going to be like five, six, and seven, and of those, still five by a long, okay, by a long shot. So, so let's let's transition here over to a discussion of this, the, the, the broader series in general. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, for, for those of you who, who might be unfamiliar with the concept here, the first Fast and Furious movie was more or less, I mean, it's, it's kind of cynically noted as being a Point Break remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, point, point Break was the movie with Keanu Reeves, and he, he goes, he's an FBI agent, and he goes undercover in this, this group of surfers led by Patrick Swayze who are really criminals or thieves or something like that. And, and in fast and the furious, uh, Paul Walker is a, I can't remember if he's an FBI agent or just a cop, but he goes undercover with, uh, you know, this group of street racers led by 
Vin Diesel, who is, Dom is his character is Dominic Toretto, and he, he goes undercover with their group, and, and they are, you know, a group of kind of low-level thieves. And so it's basically the same, same exact thing, and it's really just kind of a way to feature the customized car, uh, you know, the modified car scene, the, the street, street racing culture in Southern California, and that was the first movie. Yeah. And then they tried to make a second one and they didn't get Vin Diesel back. They only had Paul Walker and they didn't have either one of them for the third movie. And the whole thing was just kind of, you know, lumbering to a close. And then they got everybody back and they reinvented the whole thing as like this super spy international espionage fighting terrorist groups and somehow having street races in the middle of it type thing that if you jump as you did from like, the first movie to the fifth movie, or as I did from the first movie to the sixth movie, it's like you're watching two completely different franchises that just happen to have a couple of the same characters and still have some car racing in them That's somehow. So, so at this point, I'm going to toss it over to you and say, "Well, here's some... tell me, tell me about your Fast Five experience." Okay, so here's my experience, and. Um... So I, I came in just cold. I don't know really much about these movies. And somehow the very opening scene of Fast Five shows uh, Dominic Toretta, Vin Diesel, who I, my, my wife sent me a meme that said his name is perfect for these movies because it's vehicle identification number, Diesel. That's his name. <laughs> like His name is Vin Diesel. And he's, he's in these car movies. Anyway, um, he's being sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. And I don't even know why. I assume it's murder, but hopefully it's not like, <laughs> you know, aggravated rape or anything like that. But it's probably a murder charge or a bunch of armed robbery, a bunch of charges. And, and then he's on a bus going to this to Lompoc prison. And then um, right off the bat, Paul Walker and Jordana Brewster, his girlfriend or fiance or whatever, they are they, they deliberately cause the bus to crash. And it right. rolls, it seriously rolls probably 10 times. And I'm just thinking, was this their plan? You know, because one of them goes in front of the bus and then starts to like do a head-on collision and then it forces the bus to veer and then Paul Walker's there and pretty soon the bus, the, the, the bus basically flips over Paul Walker's car and he's unharmed. And, and then miraculously, you know, magically, everybody is unharmed in this bus crash, all these prisoners in this horrible crash. And of course, one of them escapes and it's, Mm -hmm. Dom and I so I was laughing because I'm like from the very beginning I knew this was an up the ante scene because this is like the very opening scene of this fifth Fast and Furious movie it's an unbelievably ridiculous set piece so right. of course from there w what are they going to do and um, they and then the rest of the movie basically takes place in Rio de Janeiro so also that's another thing about I'm assuming some of these types of movies is you find really cool international locales around the world right yeah yeah. And um, kind of like, you know, Mission Impossible, but there's like five or six countries in each movie, you know, or a James Bond movie. Well, anyway, they, uh, yeah. And so then they're, they're doing, you know, they're invited to do one, one last job, like one job to, to make money and yeah. they're struggling. This, this is the train robbery, right? Right, right. They're doing a train yeah. robbery mm -hmm. to steal these cars. And then, um, of course, it goes awry. You kind of know it's not quite what it's meant to be right it goes wrong right. some federal agents are killed there the, the two well the main good guys that we root for you know vin diesel paul walker jordana brewster they're they're blamed for us so now they're they're being hunted and even being hunted by um I, they're called the dss i don't remember what it stands for it's like diplomatic security service or something agents sent from the u.s to brazil and they're led by luke hobbs who is the Rock. Yep. <laughs> and so, and I have no idea that he's in these, I, I, I knew he was in the movies because I knew there was a big feud between Diesel and, and Johnson. Right, but, right. But like, I don't know if this is his first appearance or. That is. Oh, yeah, it so is? This is? So the, okay. the fifth one is the first, that's part, that's part of the reason why the fifth one is the best is because by bringing him, by bringing The Rock into it, mm -hmm. it kind of introduces this, this international kind of, uh, raises the stakes, raises the the credibility. Yeah. And it really like the fifth one is really the first one that that establishes 
what the franchise became over the next several movies. Okay. And, and it's his introduction that kind of signals that. All right. Well, and then, um, and of course you get some lines in there. That I was waiting. I was waiting with bated breath. Like there's always room for family. And a, 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 he does a toast, salute mi familia, like the, the, uh, Vin Diesel does at one point. He's always the one that likes talking about family. I've heard that it's sort of becoming a, almost a cliche in each movie. With talking or growling? Well, sort of growling, yeah. Um, sort of growl whispering. But uh, yeah, anyway, there's lots of fights. There's lots of hand-to-hand fighting. There's a few other car chases or at least car races. Um, mm-hmm. But mostly it becomes a heist movie. And right. and um, at one point, Vin and Paul are both driving cars attached to a huge, like, giant safe that they're just dragging all around the streets of Rio, <laughs> using it as, like, a weapon, bludgeoning cars with it, killing people with it, destroying half the city. Um, like, and this is this is a big... I mean, and it's you so can't funny. understate how big the safe is. This right. is not... It's a giant like, safe, and... It's a, it was stolen from a the police station. Right. And But it's okay because the police are corrupt, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, so this is, like, an entire room... That is a massive reinforced safe that somehow they yank out of a building mm-hmm. and drive through the streets because they have their souped up cars yeah. and they have, but they do have cages on the back of the cars to reinforce theirs, you know, so, oh. so it's a little more believable that they're dragging however many tons. Right. <laughs> with I mean, no just, wheels, no like, tracks. <laughs> somehow the connection between the cars and the safe is so strong. It doesn't matter what they run into. It like doesn't ruin the cars. The safe right. never gets disconnected. I mean, and and then with the heist movie, what you get to is we have to assemble the team, you know, and yeah. it's sort of like yeah. Ocean's Eleven where there you have different people who specialize in whatever's mm-hmm. necessary to pull off a heist and of course, they're all like models from around the world, including Gal Gadot, who's in it. And, yep. um, you know, and so there's little and there's lots of little quips between the characters. They have beefs between them, but they're all good and good fun kind of good natured, <laughs> like, you know, friendly ribbing kind of stuff. Um, and but I, I mean, I enjoyed it. Like I, I was never I guess I, I maybe I should say I had low expectations because <laughs> I haven't ever been interested in these movies. I sort of assumed they were corny and, and, um, but it, it was, I mean, it was entertaining. I, yeah, it's, it's critic proof entertainment, maybe, uh, like we talked about. And, uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I thought it was fun. I, I mean, it doesn't really kind of like after I watched the first one, I didn't have an intense desire to just watch every fast furious movie. Um, but I think I got the gist of it. And I can see that, and probably this is what you're mentioning, each movie, each subsequent movie, it does have to, and I keep using the phrase up the ante, but they have to get more bombastic, you know, louder, a a more even unbelievable action set piece. And, um, and maybe, and you talked about the care. Oh, I remember now characters that are apparently resurrected or characters you thought were dead that you find out aren't. And there's a scene at the very end of fast five, where there's a certain, uh, oh right, yeah. Letty. I think it was the girlfriend of Dom that apparently right. she's uh, presumed to be alive, and it's discovered by the Rock by uh-huh. Agent Hobbs. And so, um, and I'm sure it's you know not the first time that that happens, but I but I <laughs> no, didn't have the no. background either. See, like having not seen any of the other movies, I'm like, oh, I guess that's the one they talked about. Who you know, the reason why Vin's sad for half the movie and, and he kind of bonds with another agent in the DSS. That's a, a female agent that her husband was killed on the streets of Rio doing, you know, mm-hmm. as a cop. And so, do you know, do you know who she is? No. Who is that? That's Chris Hemsworth's wife. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. I didn't even know she was an actor. What's her, where's she from? What's her name? Uh, I think she's Brazilian. Brazilian. Okay. Maybe. I don't that know. Makes sense. Yeah. So, she kind of partners up with the rock, the rocks character and um, you know, and anyway, yeah, I mean, pretty girls, like you said, good looking women, they want to make sure they show lots of women in bikinis and slow motion. And they have these needle drop songs uh, 
that are some of them are rap songs. I noticed a lot that I think were Brazilian songs. They sounded like they were in Portuguese. Yeah, um, sure. To go along with the scenery and uh, the you know the country that it's in. Um, but well, and that's that's really one of the the more hilarious of of so many hilarious elements in these movies is that they still feel this obligation to tie the story back into street racing at some point, mm-hmm. no matter how ludicrous and irrelevant it is. Right. So basically the way that they, I mean, the cop as, jar, as you, well as, yeah. as jarring as the transition between one and five is, it's that much more so between five and 10. Okay. Like if you were to, if you were to just go out and watch fast 10 right now, you would be equally just disoriented in terms of the the over the top nature and how how silly and ridiculous you know they're they kind of have these unofficial traditions like one of which like I say is that they have to find some way of working in a street race mm-hmm. um, but another another one and I'm trying to think of what this was for the fifth one and specifically but there always seems to be now at least one really crazy death defying thing that, that Dominic Toretto does that is just laughably ludicrous mm-hmm. in terms of there's no way that he or his car would survive this in the least. And yet he somehow manages to not only live, but his car is still running and he drives away. You know, it's, uh, I mean, without without giving away too much, this time in in the newest movie, it happens on top of a a dam, and when it happens, you're just kind of saying, "No, come on, come mm-hmm. on." And but that's but that's just the nature of these movies, right? Is that they're just trying to find the most crazy thing they can do, and because, as you say, they're upping the ante with each movie. By the time you get to number ten, it's I mean, it, it feels it feels like at least two or three movies ago, the franchise became more of a parody of kind of these action, you know, yeah. thrillers than than a a sincere entry. Um, we're not quite to Sharknado territory, but it feels like we're getting closer and closer. And and at the same time, they're just sheer uninhibited fun, mm-hmm. and so you almost don't want them to end in a way because you think about what else we have to, you know, that that's in, in that realm of, of just kind of be like your, your fun action movies. Right. And, you know, as, as tired as we all are of, of the franchises and stuff, uh, you know, I'm still looking forward to the next mission impossible movies and, and, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, I I mean, I'm sure if you dissected the you know, the stunts that are pulled off in Mission Impossible, it's maybe equally as ridiculous. Like I don't know. I I feel like and maybe I'm somehow biased toward those movies because I love them so much, especially the last 3. They're mm-hmm. some of the greatest action movies I've ever seen, but it feels more believable. Somehow they make you they pull me right. in more to where I'm like, "Oh yeah, I could see how that could happen. I could see how they they did that." And I feel like in these movies, they're just like, let's just dream up the most, the craziest, most ridiculous thing that we can right. and just put it on film. Let's just do it, right. you know? And No, and that's, that's really it. Yeah. That's really it. But, but, and like I say, the, different, the difference though between that and something like Transformers is that with Fast and Furious, they know that what they're putting out there is not believable. Yeah. But it's also very clear that they're just having fun with they're it and that fun. they want the audience to have fun with it. And, and that really does go a long ways. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, you think about the cops, the cop car scene where they're trying to figure out what cars to use in the, in the heist and how to go undetected. And they decide to use cop cars. Right. Yeah. And, but then they're racing them. And, and then there's four guys or like three guys and a girl racing these cop cars through the streets of Rio Right yeah. when they're trying to plan this big heist that that right. that the bad guys know that they're trying to basically right. pull off, and I'm like, <laughs> how are they not now getting caught? And how are all the real cops that are missing cop cars not out searching for them right now? And how are like there? I just had so many questions that I had to stop asking questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like there's there's a scene where a 
where they need because this guy has a hundred million dollars in a safe, the main the main baddie, and it's of course you mentioned the safe is in the the police department uh, building, and and the only way they can access the safe is by using his palm print palm print. So they're like, oh, we're out of luck. We can't do it. And Gal Gadot just has this idea oh, to God. put on a bikini <laughs> and to go right up to the guy and flirt with him. So he puts his hand on her butt and then they use her bikini. Um, they use his handprint off of her bikini bottom and, and are able to open the safe that way. And I'm like, whoever thought of this should should get a raise, right? Like, I mean, that's just so funny. It's so hilarious because it gave them the reason to actually drive forward the plot a little, you know, like, yeah, hey, because right, every, right. every heist movie really is essentially like a problem-solving movie, right? Like, we have uh, all these little problems that seem, in, un, you know, we can't surmount them, but like, we can, we, we need to figure out a way to do it. And then they, they do, they figure out a way to solve this problem. And sometimes it's just by sheer luck or some ingenious twist of fate that happens, you know, near the end. Well, um, that one, it both drives the plot forward a little bit of, of working wow. on their heist, and then it gets to show the Gal Gadot in a bikini, you know, like... Yeah. Well, it, and it's it remains true to the ethos of the franchise. Right, it's to the spirit of these movies. Which is fast yeah. cars, crazy action, yeah. attractive women. women. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. just, it, it's just it's funny. And so, I mean, I know that there are people that, like, probably these are the main movies they look forward to every year every other year or how, how, I don't uh, know how often they come out, but, um, yeah. Anyway, there you have it. <laughs> so, so I, I take it that at this point you're not going to be watching episodes six and seven or anything beyond. No, I, I, I really, I really need a, uh, I need to watch an old, like an old classic, really good movie. <laughs> yeah. I have some movies in mind, but yeah, I, I'm kind of, I don't want to watch a franchise movie. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying I won't ever do it. I'm curious enough uh, now, and they're on Sling. I just got Sling TV, so I could watch the playoffs. I broke down and got it again about three weeks ago. And um, I think most of these movies are on there. When I found Fast Five, I think I saw six and seven and maybe eight. And so they're on uh, one of my you know platforms that I pay for. So they're, they're waiting for you. Yeah, maybe they're I'll check it out. There. I'm sure if I start... That's, that sounded really convincing. I'm sure if I get 15 or 20 minutes into it, maybe I'll just be hooked enough to finish it to see what happens. Um, so I, I don't know. I, my, my advice, if, you know, for what it's worth, if you did have more interest, I would say it would be worth watching 6 and 7 mm-hmm. to kind of complete that little trilogy. Okay. But if you decided not to go beyond that, you would be just fine. Okay. So you've seen all these, right? You've seen one through 10. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It took me a while to go back and see the second one. Um, the second one is one of the lowest rated, which, which surprised me when I found out that I think it was John Singleton who directed it. Isn't he's the one who did boys in the hood, right? Oh yeah. Is that Tokyo drift? No, the that's the third one. Oh, that's the third one. Um, okay. The second one is the one when Vin Diesel didn't come back, but Paul Walker was there. And oh, that's when they too, bring in Tyrese Gibson. Too Fast, Too Furious. Probably. Right, yeah. right. And it's not a very good movie. Um, it still has its moments. You know, it's, it's it has its positives. But I was surprised at how, like, really over-the-top stylized it was. Mm-hmm. And I kind of expected that when when I heard that John Singleton had done it, I mean, not that he's going to make like, I don't know. I mean, I guess comparing boys in the hood to a, a movie in the fast and furious franchise is kind of, I mean, a lost cause, but he's got to get paid, you know, I guess, yeah. I guess. Um, but so, so I think that that was the last of the previously released ones that I saw. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when I the first one that I reviewed was the sixth, and so I went and watched. I think I just rented the first one, just so I knew who the characters were. But then jumping from the first one to the sixth one, just like you know you experienced, was kind of this. Wow, um, this is not the same. <laughs> you know, I I recognize some of these characters, but uh, they have uh, seen undergone some changes in life. Hmm. Um, but, uh, no, I, I, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to just kind of call it a guilty pleasure if that, if that's the best way to describe it. Um, 
but uh, you know, and I'll I'll be seeing the you know the next the next two you know installments of the final trilogy, whatever that turns out to be. Oh, okay. Um, but I do I do feel like we've already seen the best of this franchise, and I think that that, that was five, if not five, six, seven. So okay. Mm. And there you go. Um, any final thoughts? No, just uh, so you're not you're not holding it against me that I made you watch one of the Fast and Furious movies. No, no, I, I podcast. No, I like this experiment because I I want to do that to you. I want to I want to have you watch <laughs> something and then we'll talk about it. So sounds we'll good. Well, see what you can come up with. Okay. And uh, and dear listener, if you guys come up with any movies that you would like us to go back and and check out and discuss, feel free to send some ideas our way. And uh, if you haven't already, be sure to follow or subscribe or whatever the little buttons on the screen tell you to do. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. This has been the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. We've got Marco Morocco here. And uh, we'll see you next time.